it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being there, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. Busy hour coming your way. So glad you're here. Matt Continenti, we haven't heard from him in a while. Senior fellow of AEI and founding editor of Washington Free Beacon. Uh, author of the book, The Right, The Hundred-Year War for American Conservatism. And we know, I think the party pretty much has uh, got a pretty strong hand going into the midterms. I can't wait to see what he has to say. The President of the United States has left dedicating a park in Colorado. Did not help Mike Bennett at all. Maybe by staying away, he did. And now he heads out to the West Coast, where he'll do his few fundraisers. Not exactly something that Barack Obama and George W. Bush were doing. They were rushing around trying to help everybody out, as was Donald Trump. But right now, it's clearly the president's a lead weight, especially in light of this new economic report that shows a stubborn inflation at over 8% still. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's reporting that U.S. officials called Saudi Arabia to delay this decision by a month, putting it after the midterm election. I, I certainly can't confirm that reporting. Saudi OPEC plus clapback is a Biden-made calamity. He cuts our oil and gas while alienating the kingdom and labeling them a pariah. Now we will suffer as our strategic partner helps Russia and are also courting China. The more than any other policy, this will take a toll on all of our pocketbooks. Number two. Felony murder is, is second murder. And we are only one of two states in the nation that has that. And it simply was that I absolutely support uh, life in, in, mur- in murder for first de- degree. That's clear. Right, John Fetterman, nothing's clear because about 10 first degree murder suspects got out. Suspects, excuse me, convicted killers got out uh, under your lieutenant governorship. Economic headwinds strengthen. The Dem sales pitch weakens. And the latest in Pennsylvania, as John Fetterman's health has his lead disappearing. Can Oz take and hold the lead in these last days? Number one. The photographer who took the infamous photos said in an interview that things aren't what they seem, that he and his colleagues never saw agents whipping anybody. But two and a half hours after receiving that email, Mayorkas failed to dispute or stop the false whipping narrative. Film illusion all over this story. The broken border threatens to break the Democratic Party. How do I know? They actually did something to stem some of the tidal wave, and that's with Venezuela. They're going to work with Mexico to make sure they have a criteria, and if they're not there, they'll be sent back. If they are good enough to fit the criteria, they'll get to stay. Why? Because over 150,000 have come over the last two years because their country is terrible and ours isn't. That's not a reason to come. So what I was referring to in the open there with this very topic is you remember the, of course you remember the horse uh, soldiers, Border Patrol, when the Haitians were coming in massive numbers in rough terrain, they used horses, at which time uh, they were accused of whipping the Haitians, and all of a sudden people are screaming, they're racist, a white, seemingly white or Hispanic Border Patrol agent whipping black migrants. It's America's slavery, it's 1619 all over again. Remember the breathlessness that everyone condemned all those uh, would-be 
Border Patrol agents who have enough to, uh, going against them. They have to deal with this. Remember when the president said this right after in September of 2021. Cut one. To see people treat it like they did, horses really running them over, people being strapped, it's outrageous. I promise you those people will pay. Really? So they you let, will be. Yeah, so, so you let all these tens of thousands in. You don't care how our Border Patrol agents are abused. You don't see the cartels and the abuse and the rapes that took place on the way here. The body bags piling up for people who weren't successful cra- uh, uh, crossing the Rio Grande. But you have what you assume is racist actions by a overworked Border Patrol and you turned on them. But that's so last year. Remember Mayorkas? Same thing, September 2021, cut two. We, our entire nation, saw horrifying images that do not reflect who we are. We know that those images painfully conjured up the worst elements of our nation's ongoing battle against systemic racism. Okay. They did an investigation, lasted over a year. There's some uh, fines or minor suspensions that they had to deal with. They were ridiculed throughout their community. We know that they basically were exonerated. They did nothing wrong. And now we know that they knew they did nothing wrong. And here's what I'm led to. The Heritage Foundation, via a, a, a FOIA request, now reveals that Mayorkas was told that the photographer that was there saw no signs of the migrants being whipped. Marsha Espinosa, the assistant secretary of DHS public affairs, so the communications person, emailed the secretary, Mayorkas, and others flagging the news article on September 24th, saying the photographer that was there said is being mischaracterized. Don't say anything. They did nothing wrong. To read verbatim, the photographer uh, from the email, the photographer behind these images depicting the Border Patrol agents on horseback, told KTSM things are not what they seem when it comes out to the photos. Photographer Paul Ratke said he and his colleagues never saw agents whipping anyone. Quote, I've never seen them whip anyone. He was swinging it, but it cannot be, it can be misconstrued when you're looking at the picture. You had an eyewitness. You had somebody who took the picture. They told you they did nothing wrong. You tortured these people's lives. Then you told the whole country how racist we are, Mayorkas, endemic racism reared its ugly head again. And you held on to it for a year. That's the only time you talked about the border that you broke. Here's Brandon Judd, cut to. It is smoking, smoking gun evidence, and it clearly shows that they're willing to lie to the American people. For, for their self-interest. They withheld facts. And any time that you withhold facts from the American people, you should be willing to step down from your job. Better men would step down. So did he miss the email? Is it possible, really, from your head of communications to your secretary on a national interest, a national point of interest that the president speaks about? Is that even possible? Ken Cuccinelli had that job. Former deputy DHS secretary, cut three. It's not saying something bad about the agency. He's talking about these men on horseback. I that and I know for a fact that they took a lot of heat from, the, from, from their, their neighborhoods. Uh, you know, their, their wives and children were, were bullied. I mean, the, the president of the United States, the secretary, the vice president, members of Congress basically called them racist. And, 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 and to this day, they're still not on the line doing the job they're supposed to be doing. They're on, they're on administrative duties. Look, the secretary, I said from day one, and I do, I wholly blame him. Because two days later, he's on CNN and makes a statement about how, how terrible it was that the Border Patrol was, were, were training horses to attack children. 
Played by right now, that's Tom Holman, who found out that these he found out who they were. They would be imagine their kids going to school being bullied for something their their parents didn't do. So Ken Cuccinelli says, uh, I guarantee you, if the secretary is head of the White House press conference and gets an email from the communications team two and a half hours before the email gets read, two and a half hours before it gets read by the secretary, not by somebody, not by this his secretary, but by the secretary himself. This is a guy that had the job. So, I mean, what can you believe from this administration? You accuse Trump of lying constantly every other day. Oh, he's lying. He's lying. When is President Biden ever telling the truth? Either he's that much in the dark, which is scary, or he is in the dark, uh, or he is not in the dark and he's just flat out that comfortable lying. So the other policy I want to share with you is this came out in the middle of of, uh, Brett's show. I tape it at night now. Uh, Brett's show is extremely valuable, especially during the midterms. The DHS announced a new program for Venezuelan migrants aimed at easing pressure at the border, which includes sending Venezuelans back to Mexico unless they apply through a limited program. Since August of 20, in August of 2022, we've gotten 25,000 illegal immigrants, 154,000 since 2021. In August, 6,000 came alone of 2020. So in other words, let me make this clearer. August of 2021, 6,000 came across. That's way too many. August of 2022, 25,000 from Venezuela, most of which are walking around $500 hotel rooms in New York. So now uh, they are going to set up a series of sorry criteria. They're going to question them in Mexico. Some will fly in here. Some will fly home. As people that know this, as I told you yes last week on One Nation— Henry Cuellar, the message to Central and South America is when you throw somebody out, they need to see it or they don't believe it. They, all they see is people getting in, greeting them in New York and Chicago and Washington with nice handshakes and Nike bags. They need to see people getting kicked out to stop, but they don't seem to understand that. What's also evidence, too, is this is showing up at the polls. How else would you explain that Nancy Pelosi came to New York City and said we have to do better on border security? And Kathy Hochul same thing. This woman's invisible. Mayor Adams, like him or not, he, at least he's in the eye of the storm. Hochul, nowhere to be found until yesterday. Cut seven. We really are looking for a federal response to this, to take ownership of a crisis, and we'll be there to help. But this belongs in the federal government. These are human beings. They don't need to be shipped all over. They need to have the dignity of a place over their heads while they're going through the asylum process. Now, with the federal government, all you have to do is call the president. That's it. You have the speaker here, no problem. Mayor Adams has got a direct line. He says, I'm a Biden guy. So you go in there and say, Mr. President, you're destroying my career. You're destroying my city. This is totally unnecessary. You're making me look foolish for naming this a sanctuary city, the one I took over and the one I back. And now that I have a sanctuary city, I got 20,000 people with nowhere to put them. And I have a homeless, uh, homeless system that is overtaxed at 60,000. And they got nothing to do, no jobs, no clothes, no money. In this city, using our taxpayer dollars to support a whole a people from all different countries and overcrowding our schools to the tune of 5,500. Is that nuts? I'm going to come back, take your calls and your emails. Bottom of the hour, Matt Continenti, what he means for the midterms and what it means for 2024. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. is three hours in radio you're with brian kilmeade other journalists who've also dealt with fetterman came forward and said they had a different experience our team was the first to be in the room with fetterman for an interview rather than via remote video conference our crew did find that small talk before that captioning was was difficult because of those auditory processing issues i mentioned and that was uh, Savannah Guthrie, just a little of the pushback that she gave on this reporter, Dasha Burns, who does a great job locally, reportedly, from NBC, backed up by her station. But now you have people on The View ripping her. And just to give you context, John Fetterman had a stroke. Uh, he disappeared, won his nomination, didn't really appear on it. When he finally came back, uh, he wasn't doing many appearances. He was way in front of Dr. Oz's double digits, because, mainly because the Republican Party did not consolidate around Dr. Oz in a three-person race where all three people got 30 percent of the vote, 30-plus. He got the most at 36. To Dave McCormick's 35. And then there was a woman there, I forgot her name, was at 31. So it took a while for the Republican Party to consolidate. Fetterman took that, in my view, as, I got time to recover. By the time he comes back, he's giving these halting speeches the last seven minutes. They've gotten marginally better, but now it turns out he needs a synthesizer or some type of closed caption when people talk because he can't understand the words. He's got to read them. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a stroke recovery expert. Neither are you. But... That's disturbing to think that a senator is that, you know, it's not like he was there, got the job out of stroke like Senator Kirk did years ago. And you think, OK, what's it going to take to come back? He's got a staff around, got elected. You're electing someone that's clearly having huge issues. So this woman, Dasha Burns, says in small talk leading up to this one on one meeting that he was terrible and he was only slightly better in the interview. But is he getting answers on that screen from his handlers or is he just getting questions so I couldn't believe the pushback she got on her own network. So she said, listen, I'm just telling you the truth. You might not like the truth, but I'm telling you the truth that Fetterman had a hard time understanding. And Savannah Guthrie pushed back because they're desperate to not make Dr. Oz, who's a favorite of everybody when he had his Oprah-sponsored talk show, medical show. Now all of a sudden there's a fear that he's going to win Pat Toomey's seat. So here's what Mehmet Oz said about this. And it's tough for him because he's a doctor and also, you want to be sensitive because you, you want a guy to recover from a stroke. But I think what's more indicting at John Fetterman is that he's anti-fracking. He's pro-criminal. He's not telling the truth about his record. Now he says he's going to be like Senator Casey, not too right or not too left. We don't believe that for a second. Here is John Fetterman in 2020. Cut 18. And I, I said, you know, the, the president's team is around with fracking as a wedge issue when no one cares about it right now with the pandemic and everything going. And I want to clear that up. Like, I'm not 
pro fracking. You know, I signed that no fossil fuel pledge before before the cool kids were doing it back in 2015. Oops. So wait a second. I'm not pro fracking. Oh, I won't stop it. Well, you you get a, a okay other leases. You're going to go to bat and push back for the people in your state that recovered like Ohio because of fracking and New York wallows because they won't. Here's Dr. Oz. Cut 20. For this entire campaign, I've been trying to find out, as has the voters, who he really is. And he seems to either be hiding a radical agenda, and he definitely is radical, but that's a separate issue, or he's hiding his health. Now, he has refused his medical records to be released. He refused probably a dozen times in this interview, which is the first in-person interview that he has done. So when I'm asked, is he improving or not, I don't know, because nobody knows, because we weren't given any kinds of insights into what really happened to him in his initial illness that can truly guide us. And I think it's important to be aware that a lot of what's going on in this race right now is people hiding the truth. And that's Mm -hmm. the opposite of what we want in a democracy. You want your candidates out there asking and answering questions. I'm not somebody, you know, of course, the Cruzate tape was terrible, but I'm not somebody that thinks that Dr. Oz is so inexperienced he can't win. It's not likable. I think he's just the opposite. You don't get a syndicated show and have it for 20 years if you're not likable. You don't hope on the Oprah Winfrey show. Just be yourself and talk medicine and get your own show and press the best communicator arguably in the country and press her and get your own show. Dr. Phil, I think the Dr. Phil got his own, got a show too from Oprah, right? Was he, so it's like, if you don't like Dr. Phil, fine. He's a great communicator, knows his stuff. By the way, I talked to him off the air. Dr. Phil should run. Dr. Oz should run. He cares. He doesn't need this. Because the fact that he's rich, I think, is, is great. Uh, I think it shows he's successful. You don't become a surgeon because your dad inherited money. So, and that's not his case, obviously. Much better to me. Uh, there were a few candidates who were moderate that would have given Dr. Oz a legitimate hard time. John Fetterman's not moderate, although he's pretending to be. Here's a little from his interview with the local newspaper there. I believe the Philadelphia Inquirer cut 19. Republicans and Democrats drive over bridges. And I hope we all can agree that that's an area where we can work together and we can make compromises. But uh, I believe that you love who you love. And, and uh, the, the other side believes that, no, that's been defined by, you know, only uh, a, a woman or a man. And again, I can't compromise on that true. So it's like, it, I think anyone would reasonably believe that compromising is, is very easy. If you really believe in, in science or facts and believing that uh, those kind of basic issues. Okay. I mean, he's tailing off a little bit. There's some things there. Uh, but he, that was relatively smooth. But uh, do you think that Dr. Oz is on the stump saying uh, marriage is between a uh, uh, I'm against same sex marriage? It's a non-issue. Please don't bring up non-issues. You got so many real issues. But the fact that he wants to be Senator Casey, who he claims is a moderate, uh, no one's buying that. Just run on who you are. One thing about Bernie Sanders, he told everyone's a socialist. Emma, his suits are terrible, and he doesn't comb his hair. But he was who he was, and he wore mittens at an inaugural. Matt Continenti next. So glad you're here. talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade 
if you really claim to back the blue, like I hear a lot of people, you know, making that statement and waving that flag, you should be in favor of gun control because we have three people went to the hospital this morning and could have been killed as a result of someone not backing the blue. What an idiot. Uh, that's their answer. The mayor of Philadelphia, an epic fail, most dangerous state arguably in the country per capita. Mayor Jim Kennedy. Yeah, let's blame the gun. How about you? You are about a thousand officers down. You don't back them. You don't pay them. You certainly were defaming them. And now you say, yeah, we get guns off the streets. It's like these idiots in New York, too. Matt Continenti here, senior fellow of AEI, founding editor of Washington Free Beacon. Uh, Matt, welcome back. Uh, I'm listening. This is how they're, they're, they're beginning to understand that you cannot soft pedal crime because it's hitting everywhere. But their answer is guns. Are the voters going to buy that? Uh, I don't think so, Brian. I mean, um, you can see beginning in the Wisconsin Senate race uh, when uh, Ron Johnson uh, began pounding his opponent, Mandela Barnes, for being soft on crime. And that race closed very quickly, and now Johnson is ahead. Um, that's when I think this election began to turn to the Republican advantage. And as and what's Barnes's answer? He's not talking even about gun control. He's talking about abortion. And um, they, it just shows you that the Democrats don't have any response because at the end of the day, they do support cutting police forces. They do support decarceration, and they do support a different approach to crime that doesn't get us anywhere uh, from the Republican one. And I think that will help the GOP. You know, I, I'm, nothing about cheerleading or, or, uh, or cheering against it seems like that red wave is reprimed. If you look at the issues, almost every poll sees abortion dropping. Trump invisible, which to his credit, he's kept an extremely low profile. They're going to try to dredge him up today with the January 6th stuff. And then other issues like a horrible economy, oil and gas prices through the roof, inflation that won't budge. And now you have crime. The border is in everybody's face finally. I mean, please tell me where the Democrats excel. Well, but uh, not really anywhere in these polls that I'm seeing. Look, I think there was a moment late in the summer, Brian, when it seemed as though the wheels may be coming off the Republican train. But that has that has stopped. And I think the big moment, actually, that switched the whole conversation was Ron DeSantis sending those asylum seekers to Martha's Vineyard. From that point on, in mid-September, Republicans gained the momentum. People were talking about immigration. I mean, these blue cities now are in crisis because of the Biden administration's border policies. People begin talking about crime. And, of course, the number one issue for all Americans is the decline in their standard of living. We just got a new inflation number before going on the show today. It's bad. 8.5. Is it 8.5 or 8.3? 8.3, I think. So it's stubborn, not transitory. Right. It's it's it is it is it is persistent. And the Biden administration doesn't know what to do with it. Now, Biden's let the Federal Reserve take the take the uh, lead on it. But, you know, as the Federal Reserve cranks up interest rates, that increases the likelihood that we'll end up in a recession, which might give us stagflation. So on all these issues, the three core issues of the campaign, uh, inflation, uh, crime and the border, Independent voters are siding more and more with Republicans, and I think that's what's kind of re-energized the red wave. Uh, I think so, too. Let's do a foreign policy for a second as it relates to energy. Now, all of a sudden, a big push on the Dems. Let's punish Saudi Arabia for raising rates with OPEC+. Plus. 
Do they remember some of the film video in the 1970s and 60s? Did we ever have control of the oil and gas prices? What we decided to do as a country is develop our own natural resources, which we did, and he left. And now he's upset that his fist bump did not yield any results. In fact, he got, uh, he got 2 million barrels of oil off the open market a day from OPEC+. Plus. Why are these Democrats suddenly defining that they have to divorce ourselves from Saudi Arabia? Part of the reason, Brian, is panic. The administration and the congressional Democrats are panicked that a rise and increase in gas prices ahead of the election will doom any chance they have of limiting their losses. And that's why you saw this lobbying campaign uh, that the Biden administration launched targeting Saudi Arabia ahead of the decision last week, saying, please, please help us. And Saudi Arabia did not, um, and the OPEC Plus did not, But I think the Biden administration has misread the reasons. It's not necessarily that the Saudis want Russia to prosper or that the Saudis want Biden to fail. The Saudis are terrified of these proposals for a price cap on oil. They don't want it. And instead of trying to deal with them on that issue, Biden and the Democrats have moved into full-bore retaliation. And some of the proposals coming out of Congress are uh, just ridiculous. I mean, removing all of our forces from from Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, I mean, that would just um, weaken America's position throughout the world. And underlying all of it, of course, is the fact that America sits on these huge reserves of oil and natural gas. What does Biden do? Just just the other day, he announces a a whole other expansion of um, uh, uh, America's parks and um, memorials, which means that there's more land in Colorado that cannot be used to increase our own domestic energy production. This is such a um, trademark example of policy insanity, where you keep doing the, the wrong thing again and again and again and expect a different result that never appears. All right. First off, I want people to hear what the press secretary said yesterday, just to underline your point. Uh, We're talking to Matt Continenti of Washington Free Beacon. Cut 27. But he was very clear. There will be consequences. Uh, We believe the decision that OPEC Plus made last week was a mistake. Uh, And it was short-sighted. And so we we have said, and I said this yesterday during the briefing, that uh, from the beginning the president has talked about recalibrating, uh, uh, readjusting our relationship uh, with, with with Saudi Arabia. Okay, readjusting relationship. The Wall Street Journal reports they called Saudi Arabia up weeks before and said, just wait till after November the election to do it. They said, no, I don't think so. Uh, we're not going to do that. That's not what this is about. Uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to go ahead and cut rates. And that's where the anger came from. So essentially, it's not far off to say they were looking to manipulate an election by going to a Middle East country and asking them to not cut back production because it would raise gas prices. That's right. I mean, the, the whole focus here is domestic. It's not even uh, about foreign policy. And I'll, I'll give you another reason why. Um, look, who's the enemy of Iran in that region other than our ally Israel? It's our other ally, Saudi Arabia. And yet for some reason, uh, the Obama and now Biden Democrats have a fixation on Saudi Arabia and want to want to ruin that relationship while they're trying to appease Iran. And it makes no sense to me that they focus all their attention on 
Saudi Arabia, while you have a rebellion brewing in Iran, and you have real opportunities for change in Iran, and Iran is the threat to security. Iran is the uh, uh, party that's giving the Russians these kamikaze drones that are being launched against Ukrainian cities. So it makes no sense to me that this administration would spend all of its energies criticizing Saudi Arabia, which despite all of its faults has been a U.S. ally for 90 years, and do nothing to undermine the terror regime in Iran that is the greatest threat to our interests, not only in the Middle East, but now spilling over into Ukraine as well. Right. And the thing is, everybody knows it. You have a choice in a bad neighborhood. And for 80 years, our choice has been Saudi Arabia with its problems. And because we take advantage of each other in the relationship. And then in come the Abraham Accords, and it galvanizes that we made the right choice. Because all these other countries recognize our one major friend, and that's Israel. And that happened because Saudi Arabia, the king of the Sunni, uh, the Sunni Muslims, said, go ahead. And they were about to normalize if Trump got reelected. Trump wanted to visit them first, and they were critical. They said, why are you visiting Saudi Arabia first? He said, listen, I think we need this relationship here. And maybe he should have been quicker to condemn their tactics in Yemen. But I understand their objective, stop Iran from taking over Yemen. That's what the Houthi rebels did. So instead of me getting just your opinion, giving my opinion, your opinion about what we should have been doing with oil and gas, here's many people think a Democrat. Uh, he is running the most uh, most powerful financial institution in America, J.P. Morgan Chase. Here's Jamie Dimon, cut 24. In my view, America should have been pumping more oil and gas and it should have been supported. I would put it in a critical category. And this should be treated almost as a matter of war at this point, not as a, uh, nothing short of that. And he went on, cut 25. I think we're getting energy completely wrong. People have this bad assumption that high oil prices and gas prices reduce consumption, reduce CO2. No, poor nations, India, China, Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, are turning back on coal plants, as are rich nations called Germany, Netherlands, France. We have it completely backwards. Can you argue with that? I can't. I mean, in this point, Jamie Dimon is making sense. And look, what are we doing domestically here? We have California basically mimicking the net zero policies of Western Europe that have put Western Europe uh, in an entirely dependent position vis-a-vis Russia. And they're staring at a long, hard winter because they've bas- they have cut off all their own uh, internal supplies of energy production and now rely on an enemy <laughs> to provide them energy. So California and Gavin Newsom are trying to do the exact same policies here at home. And other blue state governors, including Kathy Hochul in New York, well, they're following Newsom's lead. It's a it's a recipe for um, decline. I, I, there's no doubt about it. I, I noticed in the new Biden uh, national security strategy that they put out, you know, they mentioned China nine times. They mentioned the climate 63 times and climate change 20. So in the, the perspective of the Biden administration, despite saying that we have to confront China and we have to constrain Russia, they continue to believe the most pressing and urgent threat to the United States is climate change. And if you believe that, you are going to implement policies that cripple America's economy and our position in the world. And if anyone understands what we've been learned to understand, what it's going to take to have massive batteries in every driveway in every garage, we're going to be stripping the earth of all its natural resources, cobalt, lithium. Most of these rare earth qualities are in China or controlled by China. Where are we going to get the solar panels made by Uyghurs who are slaves, enslaved, 
forced to be re-educated. So they're the most short-sighted thing I've ever seen in my life is this whole massive push to electric and not even bring up nuclear and natural gas. It shows it's a religion. It's not a policy. And now maybe, Matt, looking at the bright side, everyone will realize when your lifestyle is hindered, not just rich and not just poor, not just Republicans and not just Democrats, uh, all ethnic groups, when your lifestyle is hindered by a theory about what might be happening on Earth, that's when people will step up and sober up, my hope. And there's got to be a major election message sent in a couple of weeks. Final thought? No, I think it's going to happen, and I think, you know, I'm going to be the last soldier on the island when it comes to my gas guzzler. I'm not going to give it up, Brian. <laughs> they don't have the infrastructure for the EVs. They don't know how to reach these targets, and there's going to be a whole black market and people like me who just want to keep their gasoline-powered cars. And know who you're going to drive past? A bunch of people with electric cars on the side of the road yeah, when their batteries they're wear they're out. They've run out, yeah. Right, and the charging stations are broken. Yeah, imagine that. You find a charging station on your app, and it turns out you get there, it doesn't work. Too bad. You're stuck. Good luck getting an Uber that's also on electric. Uh, Matt Continenti, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll come back, take your calls and your emails at briankillme.com. Uh, don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It was my staff that uncovered the classified footnotes to Michael Horowitz's uh, FISA report that showed the FBI knew that the Steele dossier was tainted with Russian disinformation from Danishenko, probably, as early as October 2016, certainly by January 2017, and yet they continued to use that, moved ahead with the Mueller probe, put this country through four years of political turmoil. Now, the, the FBI, at some of the highest levels, some of the actors in there are just corrupt. Uh, this needs to be fully disclosed, fully exposed, and we need full accountability. Yeah, so that is Senator Johnson, who wants to get back to majority to finish up on these investigations. I know you have a lot to do, and I know we have a lot of great stories, but keep an eye on what's happening with Durham. Forget about the conviction or not. These guys are so guilty, and Dushenko could, is there's so much there to unpack. Hugo Dushenko told the FBI during an interview over three days in January 2017 that in July of 2016, he received a phone call from an anonymous Russian male, and some of that information made it into the infamous and now widely debunked Steele dossier. He does not know who the guy called, but he put all the information, gave it to Christopher Steele, who put it in the dossier that went to Hillary Clinton that she was paying for. Durham seemed incredulous when asked if Brian Auten, uh, uh, when he asked Brian Auten if he made any sense that Sergei Milian, a Trump supporter, would call Dushenko. That's been the accusation. Uh, Dushenko, someone he didn't know, out of the blue, and talk of a well-developed conspiracy between Trump and, and the Kremlin. Brian Auten said he thought that the thing was peculiar. Now, Brian Auten's from the FBI. Durham then reminded Auten of his testimony from Tuesday that the FBI offered Christopher Steele up to $1 million if he could corroborate information in the Christopher Steele dossier. But he was unable to do it, so he didn't get the million dollars. Correct. They both agree. That's correct. A phone call, he said, came from a Russian, uh, came from a Russian, make it, make it he thought would be Milian, and you believed him? We weren't sure. So 
Dushenko is telling the FBI this story that a mysterious person called him who he didn't know and told him this story and they were going with it. Milian seems to be that person. Durham then seemed to pounce on Orton. But you took the information from the dossier, which now it's clear that nobody thought was true, and, and, but, and put into a FISA application for Carter Page. He said, well, I didn't do it. And Durham said, well, you and your colleague took the information of the felon, Deshenko, on the phone and put it into the Carter Page FISA application. Just to reaffirm, when you have an application, there's no judge. There's just a judge, no, uh, no counter attorney. And in the FISA application, it has to be all correct. And then the judge decides if you could tap my phones and follow me all around and put a monitor on my car. When you make things up in a FISA application, the whole process falls apart. When you're bonded at an FBI agent, you're supposed to be honest. They are lying on the application, getting information from a mysterious voice, putting it into a dossier that they can't verify, using that dossier, putting it in front of the judge. The judge assumes it's verified, but it wasn't. And they used it for the next two and a half years in the Mueller report and beyond to go ahead and leak to CNN and MSNBC and make it almost impossible to run the country as President Trump. You should be disturbed by this because they could do it to your guy. Marty, listen on WDBO. Marty. Hey, Brian, on this Venezuelan uh, immigration policy change, isn't this more just symbolic? Because what's to stop a Venezuelan from claiming they're Honduran when they get to the border? We do not have the avail- uh, availability to vet these people because we're overwhelmed. True. At one point, you got to be processed. At one point, you have to have ID. And if you don't have ID, you go to a different area. But it's possible to beat the system. But these people are coming across now and saying, yeah, I'm from Venezuela. I'm from Honduras. I'm from Guatemala. They're not lying about that. But now with the change of policy, perhaps they will. However, they do have different criteria that would allow them to stay if they answer a certain way. If they find that out, then the whole system's blown up. Because I don't know if we have the wherewithal and the investigators to find out if it's true. One of us, do you have a sponsor family? I don't care if you have a sponsor family or not. What does that have to do with it? Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Yesterday, we were not heard in WABC. I totally understand it. It was a tribute to Bernie, who passed away at the age of 64 due to cancer. Uh, Bernie and Sid have been one of the finest morning shows in the country for years, number one. Uh, and his, uh, his death is, is so sad, but it was a big tribute to how funny and interesting and how smart he was, what a great family man he is. So uh, understand that. Glad to be back with you, though, as we hear in New York. So much going on. It's one of these weeks where there's like 12 top stories, all intriguing, all moving. And you have the election looming, too, I should say. Scott Mann's going to be joining us, giving us the latest on the war in Venezuela, as well as the first meeting with the Taliban and U.S. officials since we embarrassed ourselves and left the country over to the terrorist regime. Mark Thiessen standing by. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's reporting that 
U.S. officials called Saudi Arabia to delay this decision by a month, putting it after the midterm election. I, I certainly can't confirm that reporting. Really? Ned Price, can you confirm anything? So Saudi OPEC plus clap back on the Biden made calamity. He cuts our oil and gas while alienating the kingdom and labeling them a pariah state. And you wonder why he got had this blow up in his face. What would that will mean for gas prices and his election hopes? Number two. Felony murder is a second murder. And we are only one of two states in the nation that has that. And it simply was that I absolutely support uh, life in, in, mur- in murder for first de- degree. That's clear. Uh, his emphasis is all off. John Fetterman still hurting. Economic headwinds strengthen and the Dem sales pitch weakens. And the latest in Pennsylvania, as John Fetterman's health has his lead disappearing, can Oz take hold and take this election days before the big debate? Number one. The photographer who took the infamous photos said in an interview that things aren't what they seem, that he and his colleagues never saw agents whipping anybody. But two and a half hours after receiving that email, Mayorkas failed to dispute or stop the false whipping narrative. Uh, That is Bill Malusian. Broken border threatens to break the Democratic Party. How do I know? They actually did something that stems from this uh, that could stem the tidal wave. And they're addressing the border. Uh, You have Nancy Pelosi and... Governor Hochul doing that. Mark Thiessen joins us now. Mark, can you believe, I believe, that you go back to DeSantis and Abbott sending illegals to sanctuary cities and then letting them understand how bad things are at the border that has made everybody but the president of the United States acknowledge that this is going to cost you at the midterms? No doubt. Well, first of all, Bill Malugin, like needs to, needs to get an Emmy for his reporting from the border. He's I mean, been it's fantastic. I mean, he's just, he's just a remarkable young reporter and a rising star. Um, and, you know, the fact that he, I mean, the fact that Mayorkas knew <laughs> that no one had whipped anybody and came out and said the things he said at that press conference. I mean, that guy, when, when Republicans take over uh, the House, that man needs to be impeached uh, the, for, uh, among their first steps. And, you know, and then you got, you know, Kamala Harris this week saying that accusing Abbott of a dereliction of duty uh, by sending these uh, these uh, these migrants up, up north, I mean, I'm sorry, you are the border czar. <laughs> Talk about a dereliction of duty. We had one million gotaways in the last two years. People could be terrorists, could be violent criminals, could be drug smugglers, just pouring over our border into the country. And she accuses him of a dereliction of duty because he sent a few thousand of them up north so that other other states where the elites live. Uh, could feel a little bit of the pain that his state is feeling. You know, it's really easy for people in Washington, D.C. to sit back and ignore what's happening in in these border communities and flyover country because they don't really care much about flyover country because the Democratic Party is a party of coastal elites today. But you know what? This, This is how they got Donald Trump. They don't seem to understand that this is ignoring the center of the country, ignoring people who, uh, you know, and their concerns and treating them like they're like they're like they don't matter is exactly what produced Donald Trump. So they're just doing the same thing over again uh, by by dismissing their concerns and pretending that uh, they, they, they don't matter. Couple of things. We, you're talking about Kamala Harris appearing on Seth Meyers, where she said it's a dereliction of duty. She's so self, uh, unself-aware. She needs a mirror. It's fu- fundamentally your fault. Anybody, even a late-night funny talk, uh, funny uh, humorless talk show host, 
would come out and say, hey, wait a second, but aren't you the border czar? Isn't that something you should be handling? Have you just, you said the root causes. What is the root causes? The person we interviewed on camera is from Sri Lanka. So are we supposed to uh, go to call Sri Lanka now? The word is the borders open, come one, come all. And the other story you're referring to is a Heritage Foundation FOIA request that revealed that Mayorkas was told by the photographer at the border that when they saw the video, that it seems as though the horse soldiers might have been whipping the Haitians. They weren't. Marsha Espinosa, the assistant secretary of DHS Public Affairs, emailed the secretary and saying the photographer there says there was no whipping going on. The photographer said that there was a story on KTSM that says things aren't as they appear. The photo photographer, Paul Raccia, said he and his colleagues never saw agents whipping anyone. Quote, I've never seen them whip anyone. He was swinging it, but he could be misconstrued when you're looking at the picture. Two and a half hours later, Joe Biden and Mayorkas said this, cut one. To see people treated like they did, horses barely running them over, people being strapped, it's outrageous. I promise you those people will pay. Cut two. We, our entire nation saw horrifying images that do not reflect who we are. We know that those images painfully conjured up the worst elements of our nation's ongoing battle against systemic racism. Either now uh, he knows this email exists. His communication director told him and he's still ranting, calling us systemic racists. It's to compare those border guards who are, desperately trying to keep control of a border when Joe Biden and Mayorkas and Kamala Harris have put a big welcome sign on it and said, come one, come all. And they're desperately trying to protect our country to compare them to Bull Connor and the and and the people who are do who are beating African-American protesters during the civil rights movement is such an affront to those people that that it, it truly is disqualifying for him. Uh, for public office. That man does not deserve to have any position of responsibility of the federal government ever again. Listen to what Tom Homan found out about those agents and his family. It's not saying something bad about the agency. He's talking about these men on horseback. And I know for a fact that they took a lot of heat from the, from, from their, their neighborhoods. Uh, you know, their, their wives and children were, were bullied. I mean, the, the president of the United States, the secretary, the vice president, members of Congress basically called them racist. So, I mean, the, the ramifications are unbelievable. Two years later, the investigation just whittles, just kind of willows away. And now these guys are still waiting to come back on and they're going to sue. They're going to sue to get their jobs back. And I hope they win. You know, it's it's uh, it's like the people who were smeared during the McCarthy era. I can't remember the gentleman who said it, but he's like, where do I go to get my reputation back? Uh, you know, the, where where do these guys go to get their reputations back? Apparently federal court. Uh, where they're going to sue. And the other thing that it just shows, again, you know, the disconnect between the coastal elites who run the Democratic Party and are running our government today and the rest of the country, that they see those images through very, very different lenses. If you are a rancher on the border and you have, you know, we saw those videos that, again, I think it was Bill Malugin who gave to us of of this guy who's where, where armed illegal migrants were trying to break into his house and ended up breaking into the house of his like 91 year old grandfather. And they're, and they're doing drugs in the, in the cartels are transporting drugs over your territory, over your ranch, leaving needles and, and, and things on the ground, dead bodies being left, left behind. And you see the image of 
Border Patrol on horseback trying to stop those people, you look at that and say, thank God the cavalry's here. No, <laughs> people, no the, question. The people in Washington look at it and say, oh, my God, it's, it's, it's Bull Connor and the, and, the, uh, and the Arizona State Police out of 1960. They don't understand how those images are seen differently in, in flyover country. They don't understand because they don't care about those people's problems. They yeah, but they they'll yeah they'll crap. care when they lose them all. Uh, so yeah. we're talking to Mark yeah. Thiessen here. Mark, I want to build up on what your column was about, and that's crime. We watched that Lee Zeldin, a congressman from Suffolk County, Long Island, was attacked on a stump by some drunken guy with a weapon. And then we watched and we find out while he's marching in a Columbus Day parade in the Bronx, there was a shooting outside his house. Bullets were everywhere. Turns out these guys are in, in a gang, a blood-related shooting. But we just watched a Poughkeepsie dad get killed while making coffee at a Marriott when these two homeless guys were shooting at each other. So you know his daughters were absolutely in peril, the 16-year-old twins. And if you see the latest polls as he continues to show up at every crime site showing that things would change under him, Lee Zeldin's making progress. He's for the first time is winning Long Island, according to Newsday Siena, which leans left, both the newspaper and the college, 4846 Word is he. Uh, word is he's got about thirty-three to thirty-four percent approval in New York City. Does he have a shot? Well, I think he does. I think the red wave might be uh, the crime wave might might push on the red wave a little bit and reach even New York. Uh, look, I mean that I've stayed. I, I went to college in Poughkeepsie, and I stayed in that Marriott with my daughter. <laughs> I've made coffee in that Marriott. Uh, yeah, that. So you know, this is the thing that's happening in this in the, with this crime wave. So Lee Zeldin lives in a leafy suburb of of Long Island, where you know it's a it's a middle class suburb. Home value is about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Average income is about one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Low yeah. low poverty rate. This is this is like the average American middle class neighborhood. And there is a drive by shooting, gang shooting, and he's got two teenage kids bleeding out on his lawn, hiding under his porch. Uh, to get away from a drive-by shooting. That's what's happening in America. This is not, you know, it used to be that the crime wave was contained to certain neighborhoods. It was in, Fort, it was in you know, Bed-Stuy and, 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 you know, the Fort, Port Apache of the Bronx and all the rest of that. And it's not anymore. It's everywhere. It's like you can't walk onto a subway in New York without fear. 75% of New Yorkers personally fear being victims of, 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 of criminal violence today. And that's true across the entire country. It's true not just in, in, uh, in big cities. It's true in suburbs. It's true majorities in suburbs, majorities in, in rural areas. The crime wave is spreading everywhere. And the violence is spreading everywhere. And people are – and again, the Democrats don't see it. They see this as a creation of Fox News. This is a conspiracy theory that Fox News has come up with to energize conservative voters. It, for, and, you know, and that's the if, same thing they said about Bill Malusian at the border. Bill, they said Bill exactly. Malusian was— It's the same pattern. They just dismissed the concerns of real, ordinary Americans every single day, the things they're going through. And that's why they're, they're, their approval rating is so low. So we know Dr. Oz is closing on Fetterman, and we know that Ron Johnson has the biggest lead he's ever had— uh, in any election in Wisconsin, when he always polls poorly and it's always controversial and he comes whipping back, even yep. though he's being wildly outspent. Why? Because Manila Barnes is pleading for Barack Obama to join him on the stump because he has all these statements about defunding ICE and how um, uh, defunding the police and going after law enforcement is now sexy, you write. 
And then you have the yep. Barnes is sitting there trying to tell everyone he's not for defunding the police, but no one buys it because of Kenosha and Waukesha. They, they've had it. They've had it with the criminal first attitude. But I also would bring you to something else in New York City. Overall crime on the subway is up 42%. The police commissioner in New York City rode the subway one stop and told WABC that she's really concerned about this. So I'm not sure that that's going to make people feel better uh, overall. The Fetterman story's got me fascinated before I let you go. And that is he's got issues, cognitive issues, to the point where he can't understand what you say, but he can understand what what is written. So now when you talk, there's a transcription, closed caption, that's going to translate what you say. It's not clear that some staffer is not giving him the answers either. But because a reporter came out and reported things that in small talk, he was actually less coherent than he was in a very halting interview. Her name is Dasha Burns. Here's what she said Tuesday, Cut 22. We had a monitor set up so that he could read my questions because he still has lingering auditory processing issues as a result of the stroke. Just in some of the small talk prior to uh, the interview, before the closed captioning was up and running, it did seem that uh, he had a hard time understanding our, our conversations. The View says she must be bad at small talk. Uh, And how dare you make fun of handicapped people. And then she goes on the Today Show and gets ripped by Savannah Guthrie. Cut 23. Other journalists who've also dealt with Fetterman came forward and said they had a different experience. Our team was the first to be in the room with Fetterman for an interview rather than via remote video conference. Our crew did find that small talk before that captioning was, was difficult because of those auditory processing issues I mentioned. So how do you play this? No one wants to mock anyone with a stroke, but he clearly can't do the job. Well, here's the thing. So the fact that he has a disability that requires him to use a closed captioning device isn't disqualifying. I mean, if he, if he was deaf and he needed a closed captioning device, no one would question it, right? What's, what's disqualifying is the fact that he's hiding his medical records. Because that, that same reporter, the NBC reporter, Dasha Burns, said in the, in the story that she, that she asked Fetterman, Straight, for, straight up, please release your medical records to us. Let us interview one of your doctors to, so they can tell us about uh, your, your medical condition. And, and he refused. And, you know, the fact is people, the, the, the voters in Pennsylvania are being asked to elect somebody who had a stroke. You know, there are, senator, there are senators who have been more cognitively impaired than Fetterman and served in the Senate. I mean, I, I worked I there for seven years, you know, but they have a right to know whether it's just auditory processing or whether there are cognitive issues that are deeper than that. And the only way you can do that is by talking to his doctors, by getting getting by by having his medical records and, you know, whatever tests they've done to see yep. whether he's mentally fit for the job. We're about to find out information. We're going to see what's going to happen in the debate. But I think debate's going to be frustrating with all the translation and the delays. Uh, thanks so much. Mark Thiessen will read you calm in the Washington Post. You're everywhere. Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Out a few minutes. So let's go to Mark in Pennsylvania. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Er, Brian, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? What's going on in Pennsylvania? Uh, basically, I wanted to I wanted to talk about Fetterman's mental acuity. Go basically, 
I had an opportunity. Uh, I'm part of a union in Pennsylvania that uh, he, the, the big four, as I say, Shapiro, Fetterman, Oz, and uh, Mastriano came in to speak to. And, and I want to preface it with just, you know, I understand members of my family had a stroke, but they weren't running for Senate of the United States. So during the, during the, um, when all the candidates came in, he, he actually came last and he didn't come in. Yeah. The other three candidates came in and met with us face to face. He did the, you know, the zoom meeting and he was asked pointed questions, uh, regarding our union. And I mean, you hate to say it, but he was all over the place. Really? Did, did he need a pause to understand what you were saying as it got transcribed? You know, he he had a he had a computer in front of him, obviously because of the Zoom meeting. But I didn't. I watched the the Dasha Burns interview and I saw how he paused there to read. Wow! Thanks for the up close personal opinion. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. In Putin's army, morale has never been lower. Following staggering defeats in Ukraine, troops are retreating and surrendering. And to dodge the draft, conscripts are so desperate, they're even breaking their own arms and legs, as this video is said to show. You believe that? The Russians, so tough and modern, they're running for the hills rather than fighting their action uh, to stop Nazism in Ukraine, which is laughable. And they're realizing that they've drafted 300,000. They've lost hundreds of thousands through their border. People rather go to Mongolia than stay there. And that I'm not kidding. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann joins us now. He conducted and coordinated Task Force Pineapple, author of the new book, bestseller, Operation Pineapple Express, the incredible story of a group of Americans who undertook one last mission and honored a promise in Afghanistan. Colonel, first off, your take on what we've seen this week, the blowup of the bridge over the weekend that linked Russia to Crimea, a place they stole, and then the barrage of rockets. Yeah, so good to talk to you again, Brian. Um, you know, what's happening in Ukraine and, and, and all of, you know, in that area, the resistance that's underway is really, it is, it is a textbook resistance that you're seeing here. I mean, I think it's, it is the culmination of, frankly, U.S. special operations and other folks working with the Ukrainians for years. But you, you cannot say enough about the way that the Ukrainians have mounted their resistance against the Russians. And it really is death by a thousand cuts. And, and when this kind of approach is used uh, on a nation state like Russia, whose military is, is frankly falling apart, uh, you're going to see more and more guerrilla warfare employed, as, particularly as they bring in conscripts, because that is, you know, that, that lets the guerrilla warrior salivate right there. That's what you, that's what you hope for. Because usually they're inexperienced. They don't want to be there. Uh, and, right. and they usually put there as cannon fodder because you know, valuable people are done. Uh, just as, right. uh, I've had this breakdown by military people. They've said this. They were hoping, the Russians, that it was 1940. And they were hoping that the Ukrainians would just line up straight across and they'd go tank to tank. And the Ukrainians have a different way. They surround the area and they basically close in like an anaconda and find a way to infiltrate and do some... Uh, reconnaissance before they actually attack. And when they do yeah. notice that the Russians are so laid back, they haven't made ditches, they haven't made protection, they haven't fortified anything, making these land grab grab back easier. 
Yes, and those tactics that you just talked about absolutely are in play, those asymmetric tactics. I think one other thing I would point out, Brian, is a, you know, from an unconventional warfare perspective, which is you know, kind of how I, I, I look at things, is the, the unity of effort and the whole-of-nation approach that Ukraine is taking to their resistance. In other words, they have, they have established at the highest level, from Zelensky all the way down, that every single person in that country is responsible for resisting. And it shows, right? It shows in their whole-of-nation approach, their unity of effort, and their ability to just move with complete agility to do the things that you just described. And I think it's just important that that, that, that resistance operating concept is, 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 is a NATO thing. It's a, it's a Western thing that, that U.S. Special Forces and others have put in play. Uh, and it's not just there. You're going to see this. If they try to make moves in other places of, in Eastern Europe, you're going to see similar applications. And it is very effective. And I'll tell you what. I mean, they do not adjust to the battlefield. They're still making their senior officers make all the decisions. No one's got any power. And the one thing right. Ukraine has, because you guys train them more than likely, is they give their junior officers the ability to uh, fight the way they need to fight and not have to go check back with the general or lieutenant colonel who might be somewhere else. There's a saying in the military that your, your soldiers, your Marines, will follow you to hell and back if, if they know the answer to one simple question, why? And, you know, our military and a few others are, are, are rare error in the fact that we actually tell our people why they're doing something. That's why you see these amazing Lance Corporal Marines in Helmand Province take actions that are eight levels above their pay grade when everything falls apart because they know why they're there and they are entrusted and empowered with the autonomy to lead and get it done. They know the intent. And the Russian army has none of that. And it, when you are dealing with a resistance like you're seeing in Ukraine, uh, you're, you're, they're going to eat your lunch. Right. So I understand they shot down four Russian helicopters in 18 minutes uh, from 840 yesterday to 858. So they use uh, probably, they say, KA-52s to do that. They also say the Russians are afraid to fly uh, their fighter jets over Ukraine because they're so lethal with their air defense, which, of course, they're undermanned. They knocked down some rockets, not nearly enough. So we're rushing hours to the border, uh, to the border of, I guess, Poland, as, as is Germany. Here's John Kirby. You're talking about these NASAMs, these National uh, Advanced uh, Surface-to-Air Missile uh, Systems, which were jointly developed by Norway and the United States. Uh, There are eight on order to get to Ukraine. The Pentagon believes that they can get the first two uh, into Ukraine in coming weeks. I don't have a deadline for you, but obviously everybody's focused on trying to see if we can accelerate that timeline and get them there a little bit faster. So, I mean, they said in a matter of days, and once they do that, then the main offense that Russia has outside tactical nukes, which which people like you say they're not going to be effective in this in this war, in this battle in particular. If you could knock down their rockets and they're afraid to fly and they can't fight, uh, this is going to be a slow uh, bloodletting. Yeah. And that's that's really in a resistance. That's what you look for is you look for a way to just stagnate the opposition. Right. To just, you know, to where their supply lines are severed. Um, their morale is decimated. They're afraid to fly. They're afraid to put themselves out there in a way that they're assuming risk and, and using audacity. And then you enjoy the upper hand, right? As a guerrilla, you enjoy the upper hand as a resistance fighter. You can then fight at the time and place of your choosing. And that is when you really start to erode the morale and will of the people back home in Russia. You're already seeing it. 
Uh, it's when, you know, when you're re- relegated to conscripts and people are breaking their own arms, you know, and don't forget the psychological warfare that's happening here as well. I have to say that Ukraine and, and the others who are assisting them are brilliant with their messaging and their information operations and their psychological warfare. They are really taking that to a new level. All right. Uh, so we're talking with Scott Mann, whose best-selling book is a must-read, Operation Pineapple Express. Scott, this week the Taliban sat down with U.S. officials. What should we be giving them? What should we be telling them? Yeah, you know, how about let's start with al-Qaeda. You know, they are operating and uh, reemerging in that country, Brian, on a level that is unprecedented. And, you know, I, I, I'll share this with you. I, in the last couple of days, I've been also hearing reports from sources who I have a lot of confidence in, both on the Afghan side and the U.S. side, that ISIS has actually moved their headquarters from Syria into Afghanistan as well. And no one is talking about this. And, and, and I mean, I've heard this from, from multiple sources unsolicited. Wow. And this place is becoming a playground for, you know, the ultimate unfettered safe haven. And it's as if we just we're literally ignoring this as a nation. And and I think this is why the veterans are so up in arms. This is why the veterans are so upset and were so upset about Afghanistan, because the difference between Vietnam in Afghanistan is that Vietnam won't follow us home. Afghanistan will. And if ISIS and al-Qaeda are operating there at the levels that I'm hearing, uh, the way this ends is 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 potentially very bad. Uh, yeah, for us, I mean, they, they're not going to stay there. They're going to export uh, their terror and they're going to aim it at us. We understand that ISIS-K wants to fight the Taliban, so they might they might provide intelligence on that front, but they need aid. And the thing that's so agonizing is there are good people starving. There are babies that can't, doesn't have, don't have any formula. But we want to make sure the aid gets to them, yet we have no presence on the ground. Do we no, use UAE? Do we use Qatar? Do we, do we just walk away? What would you do, Scott? We need to put some kind of assurances on the ground, Brian, that we, this aid is getting to where it's supposed to go. Because all of the reports I've gotten, to include from a former Army NCO, uh, named Legend, who was in, just recently was in country and has been observing the the non application of aid. Uh, it, you know what, what we're hearing is that it is not getting to where it needs to be at all. And so if you know if we're there are definitely people starving to death there. We have commandos and Afghan special forces. I don't know how they're going to make it through another winter, and I don't know how these veteran groups are going to sustain another year. I mean, we have veterans that have cashed in their four hundred one ks, their kids savings accounts, trying to keep their partners alive. It has reached a point that it is, it is untenable. And if we don't get some kind of assurance on the ground that this, this, this revenue is going where it needs to go, I just think it's completely irresponsible. And if we need to work with the international community, let's do it. But we need some kind of assurance that this money is going where it's supposed to go. Lastly, I want you to hear what I just kind of had a sparring session with John Kirby. I could not be more adamant that we cannot lose 20,000 more men and women in uniform because of a vaccine that doesn't even work on the variants and not giving these people a right even to have their religious exemption honored. So here, I just want you to hear this to invest in our people and train them and then dismiss them for experimental vaccine is folly when you can't recruit. Every one of your branches can't recruit their threshold, yet you're kicking out good men and women. How do you explain that? Well, look, Brian, first of all, the Navy did make their uh, recruiting goals for enlisted personnel this year. Yes, it's a tough recruiting environment. We recognize that. 
uh, but it's also you have a requirement to be healthy to be able to serve. And this is a valid military requirement. It's a, you really it's a think so? order to get the vaccine. And, and look, even even if it doesn't prevent you from getting COVID, I'm double boosted. I got it myself here just the last That's your week decision. So. It, made, it makes the symptoms a lot less right. severe. It gets you back on, on duty. So it's uh, worth kicking out health, the healthiest people in our country we, who are already sacrificing. You're, it's worth kicking them out? Brian, Brian, we would rather not lose anybody, of course. Uh, so your thoughts on that? What I will tell you is our military is in in trouble from a recruiting and retention level. Uh, I've been talking a lot, Brian, to the the men and women at at the NCO level, at the junior officer level, and their morale and their disposition right now for this reason and other, you know, uh, social experimentation reasons. It it is eclipsing readiness. It is eclipsing uh, our ability to, to, to fight the nation's wars. And, you know, we have people walking in droves, leaving. Uh, I heard from one SF captain who told me that as many as 50 of his peers, uh, fellow captains, are leaving this year. Um, and these are, these are special operators uh, as well that are leaving. And then on the recruiting side, same thing. I think it starts with Afghanistan, Brian. I think people, young people, they look and they see what happened there. They look at the way that we walked away from our partners and left them on their own. Uh, and I think they're shaking their heads saying, I don't think so. And, and I can also tell you that talking to my peers, veterans, there are a lot of legacy war fighters. You have the, our sons and daughters who are fighting right now or in the military. And they're leaving, too, because this is not what they signed on for. This is not the military they saw in the 20-year war that their parents served in. Uh, and they're walking away. And, and, and I think the numbers show it and, I, and, and, and how our policymakers and leaders are sitting here scratching their heads going, I don't get it, is not just tone deaf, it's irresponsible. And lastly, when they say, well, when you guys go in, you know you're getting all vaccinations, get a million shots, you're not supposed to ask questions. I believe this is different. They made it on the fly. We now know a lot more. You trust these people with guns and tanks and planes but you don't trust them to make their own personal decision. How do you feel about this? I think that any, you know, in a situation like this, war fighters do have, do have, a, they do have a choice in this. They need to be able to make a decision in this. We, we trust these war fighters to put them on the battlefield and display autonomy and agency in the most trust depleted, terrible places imaginable. The fact that we would not give them, uh, you know, the uh, the option to make their choice in this situation is is it, it beyond me. I can't understand it. Uh, and now it seems like it's just digging in of the heels to to advance a, a policy decision that's already been made. Much like Afghanistan, where you know we're just it's just doubling down and it's just making it worse in terms of recruiting retention yeah. and I think even public trust in the military. Wow. Uh, go out and pick up Scott's book, and you're going to have to, on the paperback version, you have to add what you've done since. There's a lot still going on. Operation Pineapple Express. Thanks, Colonel. Take care, Brian. You got it. one 408 I'll get to your calls in just a moment. We come back to some developments in the Durham case I think you're going to want to know about. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Look what they've done to the FBI. Look at what they've done to the Department of Justice. Look at the fact that they are conducting raids on on pro-life 
Uh, Catholic demonstrators to what? Make a point. Look at what they've done to parents sending the FBI to their doors if they go to school board meetings and complain. I mean, you want to talk about politicizing things. This is exactly the kind of corruption that needs to be investigated, that needs to be rooted out. And finally, I just say this. Let's not forget who told FBI whistleblowers not to come forward. It was Merrick Garland who sent a memo out to all DOJ employees and said, don't talk to Congress. Don't blow the whistle. You've got to go through me. That's not the law. So you talk about double standards, Laura. It's double standards all around. And that's why Republicans have got to make an anti-corruption agenda priority number one. Yeah, I think that's a good point from Senator Josh Hawley, uh, who was breaking down what we've known so far from the Dechenko trial. So he's the Russian who was the source for much of what was in the Steele dossier and the dossier, which Christopher Steele does not stand behind and was offered a million dollars to verify by the CIA, couldn't do it. And that's what's come out over the last two days. So the dossier that BuzzFeed put out that CNN basically verified, that allowed Carter Page to be tracked and trailed, that they were going to do on Papadopoulos, that they were trying to do on the president, an all-offensive to stop Trump, the candidate, and the president. If that doesn't worry Democrats and independents, I just think you're so blindly and through Trump hatred, you don't understand that that gun could be pointed at you next. Our intelligence officers, I cannot wait. If the Senate and House flips or one of the bodies flips, it looks like the House for sure, the Senate maybe, you will get these whistleblowers front and center. They have to say, I was forced to go raid President Trump's house, and I didn't. Evidently, that happened with two guys. So I'm not going to raid it. It's not right. I don't want to politicize this organization any more than it has. And the ones that come forward when they talked about the agenda of Strzok and everybody else. The DOJ Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, a non-politician, no political affiliation, found that the dossier was used to justify the initial FISA warrant and its three subsequent renewals. Republicans on the House Intel Committee first said that the dossier served as a basis for those warrants. It was proven. And now we find out that this guy, Deshenko, lied about sources, lied to his role. But here's the mystery. He was also on the FBI payroll. If you're lying to the FBI, how do you get to the point where you're getting paid by the FBI? Ron Johnson, 35. It was my staff that uncovered the classified footnotes to Michael Horowitz's Pfizer uh, report that showed the FBI knew that the Steele dossier was tainted with Russian dif- disinformation from Danishenko, probably, as early as October 2016, certainly by January 2017. And yet they continued to use that, had moved ahead with the Mueller probe, put this country through four years of political turmoil. Now, the, the FBI, at some of the highest levels, some of the actors in there are just corrupt. Uh, this needs to be fully disclosed, fully exposed, and we need full accountability. It would be great, and it's not going to happen unless Ryan Johnson gets back in there. He's up by about four, it looks like, and I think he, they underpoll him for the most part in Wisconsin. And the, the governor's race is dead heat. It was brought up, James Carville said yesterday, in situations like this, when you have about eight races that are too close to call, they usually go 8-2, not 4-4. So if anybody's got momentum, it's Republicans. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Find out how to catch me on stage in Brantford, Mississippi, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Newark, New Jersey. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Bottom of the hour, we talk a little soccer. Lexi Lawless will be joining us talking about the World Cup. 
Uh, you got uh, 32 teams, 64 matches. They'll play for a month all on Fox. And the U.S. team, the best team, most talented team we've ever had. Uh, we've never gotten close. In 1930, Final Four, made a movie out of it. That's as close as we got. We'll see what happens. Four years ago, we didn't even make it. So now they moved it to the... Uh, they moved it to, for the first time ever, the fall slash winter, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll talk, we'll break that down with the best analyst in the league, who was formerly a, a great World Cup player. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. There's reporting that U.S. officials called Saudi Arabia to delay this decision by a month, putting it after the midterm election. I, I certainly can't confirm that report. Ned Price, is there going to be a policy change when it comes to our 80-year uh, ally? Saudi OPEC plus, uh, Saudi OPEC plus, clap back at the Biden calamity. He cuts our oil and gas while alienating the kingdom and labeling them a pariah state. Now we'll suffer all uh, but we'll all suffer because of that. They're our strategic partner, not our best friend, but they'll just go to Russia and China. They don't care. Nice move. Number two. Felony murder is, is second murder. And we are only one of two states in the nation that has that. And it simply was that I absolutely support uh, life in, in, mur- in murder for first de- degree. That's clear. Economic headwind strengthen. The Dem sales pitch weakens. And the latest in Pennsylvania, as John Fetterman's health, as you just heard, has his lead disappearing as well as his policy. Can Oz go the rest of the way and lock it up in the debate? We'll see. Number one. The photographer who took the infamous photos said in an interview that things aren't what they seem, that he and his colleagues never saw agents whipping anybody. But two and a half hours after receiving that email, Mayorkas failed to dispute or stop the false whipping narrative. Yeah, broken border threatens to break the Democratic Party. How do I know? They actually did something to stem some of the tidal wave, and that's in Venezuela, uh, stopping some of them in Mexico and then deciding who's going to get in because about 150,000 have come here over the last two years. Now they see it as a problem. Unbelievable. Um, and we'll discuss, uh, we'll discuss some of that. So in the, uh, in, the, in the lead up to what's going on with everything at the border and it falling apart, you could not get this administration to comment on anything at the border. They just didn't want to hear it until thousands turned up under a bridge. The optics were too crazy. Even other networks showed up. But you should know, 4 million people roughly have come here that we know of, 800,000 gotaways that we missed. And now the, the busing to the major cities has gotten everyone saying this is a major issue come the midterms. But thanks to the Heritage Foundation Freedom of Information Act, we now have additional information that will truly outrage you. We all remember the horse soldiers, Border Patrol agents that were trying to control Haitian immigrants who were pouring into our country, suddenly realizing, we got to leave. This is our chance to get in. Let's go. They were accused of whipping them, and then everyone talked about they're racist. They're only whipping them because they're black. It turns out they didn't whip any of them. What makes it worse is they knew it. Alejandro Mayorkas, Biden, and everybody else knew it. How do we know? Well, thanks to the Freedom of Information request that was honored, the photographer behind those images depicting Border Patrol agents on horseback told KTSM, the station there, that things are not what they seem to be when on those photos. The photographer said he and his colleagues never saw agents whipping anyone. Quote, I've never seen anybody whip anyone. He was just swinging it. But it can be misconstrued when you're looking at this picture. His communication agent told the Mayorkas, got this information, told Mayorkas, and he still went out and made an inflammatory speech 
Listen to Mayorkas in September uh, of 2021. Cut to. We, our entire nation, saw horrifying images that do not reflect who we are. Next. We know- Cut one. Joe Biden. To see people treated like they did, horses barely running them over, people being strapped, it's outrageous. It's I outrageous, you, those- and it's not true. And unless he's totally detached from his own administration, which be that might be the case, Mayorkas didn't tell him. His communications director didn't inform him. But at the very least, when you get back from the press conference, you come back and say, listen, there's no eyewitnesses. If Look at the video. Look at the photographer. The photographer that was there says nothing was there. But it didn't stop them from running with this narrative and calling for a full investigation. And the vice president doing interviews talking about racism. Again, they love talking about race. We don't. Everyone wants to live their lives in one country. Let's not keep dividing it. So the chances of this email coming over directly to Mayorkas and him not listening to it, not reading it, Here's Ken Cuccinelli, who was the deputy DHS secretary. Cut for Let me anticipate the excuse. He's going to say, well, I didn't see that email. I guarantee you if if the secretary is headed to a White House press conference and gets an email from their communications team two and a half hours before, that email gets read by the secretary, not by somebody, not by his, his secretary, but by Secretary Mayorkas himself. I did more media for President Trump's administration than Mayorkas does. They don't let him out very often. I can tell you how this process works. And I anticipate that lie is coming, but I would be shocked, shocked if he had not read that before he went up and said everything you just showed the American people again. It's outrageous. So when it comes to the border itself, Venezuelans are overwhelming everyone. Well, I know their country sucks. Their leader's awful. A bus driver that inherited a communist country ruined by Hugo Chavez. They kicked out all private industry. I know it. Got it. Understand it. The Iranians are there. Cubans are there. Russians are there. The Chinese are there. We're not. So we're trying to reestablish relations with Venezuela. So guess what we're doing? Knowing that they're overwhelming the border and now being bused to these major cities— they have ordered remove. Uh, they this is their new policy. We have a supporter. Uh, have a supporter in the United. States, you need to have if you want to stay here. Have a supporter in the United States who will provide financial and other support. Pass rigorous biometric and biographic national security and public safety screening. Are we ready for that? Complete vax and other public uh, public health requirements. Are we ready for that? Have ordered removed from the United States in the previous five years, you're ineligible. Having crossed without authorization, you're ineligible. Having irregularly entered the Mexico or Panama after the date of announcement or a permitted residence, you're ineligible. Have not completed VAX, you're ineligible. In the meantime, they, we worked at a deal with Mexico. They stay there until we decide. Why did it take this long to reestablish to a degree a program that he vilified that was working, that he sued to get rid of? It's falling apart. It's a top issue now for all of you, and we, we should credit DeSantis and Abbott for that. Now you have Democratic zealots who are Democratic leaders who are coming out demanding some security at the border and critical of the federal government. That's how bad the numbers are getting for Kathy Hochul, one of the worst governors ever. Cut eight. We really are looking for a federal response to this, to take ownership of a crisis, and we'll be there to help, but... This belongs in the federal government. These are human beings. They don't need to be shipped all over. They need to have the dignity of a place over their heads while they're going through the asylum process. They're staying in $400 night hotels. That's dignified, isn't it? Over, over by Penn Station in New York City. 
or they're staying in shelters. That's dignified in a major New York City. They have nothing to do during the day. They have no jobs for the most part, no money, don't speak the language, overwhelming our schools. But that's what happens. Think about El Paso. Tens of thousands, 7,000 a week throughout Texas. In New York, they're overwhelmed at 19,000. 19,000. 9,730 came to New York City. I think we got about 300 during Fox and Friends this morning. Just about 10,000. And most of them are from the Democratic-run city of El Paso, Texas. Good luck with that. Now it's a major issue, thankfully. But too bad it's about an election. If we don't solve it during the election season, they're going to let it go. Ben Dominich, cut nine. If only we had someone, perhaps an old foreign policy hand, who'd been a major figure on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee for decades in the White House at this moment. Oh, wait, we do. And he's making a mess of virtually everything by making the wrong decisions or by, in the case of of the immigration issue, uh, failing to make uh, the kind of decision, the hard decision that you need to make. Decisions like the Remain in Mexico policy, (laughs) which many people may not like, but actually had the results that America voters like. He's put his party in a very difficult position. They're having to navigate this based on a lot of past assumptions that Joe Biden has made about the way that the world works, the way that foreign policy works, the way that border security works. And he does not seem like someone who's willing to take the kind of advice that he ought to be taking at this moment from members of his own party included that would put them in a much better position, I think, headed into November. So, uh, You know, they're not solving it. If you are Hispanic, they said if you're easy on the border, the Hispanic community likes you. Do you know what percentage of the Hispanic community likes the open border? 38%. You know the rest? Don't. A lot of them came here the right way and know the problem and know how they've worked their way up and take great pride in it. They learned a skill. They begin to excel. The next generation does better, better, and better. That's the way our country works. People want to be here, even at the worst of times. Uh, Border officers in Texas found this liquid meth in condoms hidden in pumpkins. Do you believe this? Uh, they found that more than 402,000 worth of liquid meth held in condoms that were hidden inside these pumpkins during a vehicle inspection. The seizure was discovered Tuesday at Eagle Pass. Um, so another disaster, let alone all the fentanyl they seem to find. We're going to take a short time out and come back and take some of your calls. one 408 So glad you're here. Bottom of the hour, we talk a little soccer. Don't move. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It is smoking smoking gun evidence, and it clearly shows that they're willing to lie to the American people for for their self-interest. They withheld facts. And any time that you withhold facts from the American people, you should be willing to step down from your job. Better men would step down. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, but it doesn't look like they are. That's lying about what they knew about these so-called soldiers who were whipping Haitians. Uh, WABC is where we have Lu- uh, Louisa, Louisa over in Yonkers. What's on your mind? Hi, I was calling because, you know, with the election coming up, I was concerned, or I have a question, that if Lee Zeldin wins, will he continue having New York a sanctuary state? I think he'll tr- I, I think. Now, how do you feel about it? Well, I don't want to be a sanctuary state anymore, and I don't want to live in a sanctuary state anymore because I feel like we don't take care of the exactly. law-abiding, tax-paying citizens. We take care of everybody else and the criminals, and we don't take care of the Louisa, can you imagine how many people oh, have a heart? 
If I just said to you, okay, give me give me 100 bucks today and tomorrow, all week, those for those people, you don't even know them. They just got off the bus. They're going to need money. Imagine if we went up to everybody, people that make 25000 or 225000 and we ask for money every single day. That's what they're doing with our money. They're running at a deficit, cutting out programs, giving it to people that, that don't have any reason, don't belong here, have broken our system, broken the law to get here. And now we have roughly 19700 here illegally. We're putting them up in hotels. And your answer about Zeldin, I think he will try to get rid of it. But it depends how big his coattails are if he wins and if he gets any Republicans in there and if it is overwhelming. Eric, listen on WDBO. Hey, Eric. Hey, hey Brian. Great topics today. Um, I just came back from the Fort Myers and Sarasota area for a week. And um, I'll tell you one thing is the truth and nothing but the truth. If we were just all green and electric vehicle and battery powered today, none of the phenomenal rescue work would be going on right now because there's no time to stop rescuing that lady in a flood because we got to go change the battery. Yeah, I know. Or there's, there's no electric helicopters. The Cajun Navy doesn't have electric airboats. None of this would be going on, and we'd all be in big trouble right now. And nothing would her. change, and it wouldn't affect us. And I hope we sober up soon, Eric, because our winters and our summers are all going to be affected for no reason. China, Russia, West, and, and the rest of the world is going to realize this is folly soon. Pam, Fox Nation. Hey, Pam. Brian, how are you? I just wanted to let you know that I just learned so much when I listened to your show. And the other day, I'm, I'm in Florida today because I came down to vote for Governor DeSantis. And the rest of the Republicans down here, I'm usually calling you from Jersey. But I'm in Florida now uh, for a couple of weeks. And I wanted to say I was listening to your show the other day, and I'm on your promo I'm the one that says you have the best <laughs> laugh on the planet. And I couldn't believe I was hearing my voice. I, I couldn't understand for a minute. I should be paying but, you. We should be paying her, oh, Eric. I'm How much money you. do we have, we Allison? Maybe we should volunteer pay. somewhere. But I just love your show. I, I start watching you at Fox News in the morning, and then I listen to you on the radio, and you always teach me something. I love the way you just broke down for Louisa about how our money's being spent. See, I didn't realize that the way that you broke it down okay. is easy for my mind to understand. Pam, do, yes. Do you understand that? Thank you, Pam. I appreciate it. And thanks for watching on a, on a great app, Fox Nation. Uh, Benjamin, listening in Amarillo, Texas, KGNC. Hey, Benjamin. Hey, how are you doing this morning? Good. What's on your mind? See, what's on my mind is uh, the Democrats are not afraid of the voters anymore. Uh, the guy in Florida that's running against DeSantis, he said the same thing that Biden did. You know, went out, if you don't want to like it, then don't vote for me. I know. I think they're manipulating the, the, the outcome already, and they're trying to manipulate it. Like Biden said, is the biggest hoax that's ever been placed in American history. The day after the election is what he said. So, Benjamin, just to, for everyone to know, Governor Christ, who was once a Republican, then became a Democrat, and now who knows what he is. Uh, said that if uh, if you just report DeSantis, you're a hater. I don't want you voting for me. That's insane. That's they're not they're not afraid anymore. Used to, there's always afraid of the voter saying I'm going to get kicked out. They're not afraid anymore when there's no fear in a politician and that stuff is crazy. You do whatever he wants to do. Well, there's a Republican governor in Florida for a reason, uh, and he's That's up right. by about eight points for a reason. So they should be afraid. Yeah. They're going to lose. And well, for I hope we'll see. Everybody says they're going to lose, and they say, well, maybe not. 
What was that? What was that country where they they had thirty three percent approval rate in one? Uh, I think it's in uh, Europe. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, hey, Benjamin, thanks so much for the call. Amarillo, Texas, we appreciate the support over in Texas, who is in the eye of the storm and so much. They did a study and they said, uh, what city is losing more of young talent, young educated talent than anybody else? New York. You know, it was second. There was 15,000 something like a month. Uh, no, it was second California. You know where they're going? Texas. You know, where the second place they're going is uh, is Florida. There's a reason. Uh, my hope is they're not going to look there to go to change things. They're going to go there to be a part of something that is more like-minded than they are. So here's uh, here's what's going on. We have an election. I don't know. Uh, we're 26 days away. Josh Kroshauer, now a Fox News contributor with Axios, weighed in on who's got the momentum right now in the big picture. Because in the big picture, going after Saudi Arabia, going after Republicans who want to bolster the border, calling them racist— I think uh, saying that they have no plan is not seeing the big picture. Cut 33. The Democratic Party's base is, is you know, talking about freezing arms sales and talking about um, you know, ending our alliance with Saudi Arabia. It, it, it seems all about politics, all about gas prices, without looking at some of the bigger issues also that are in play with the relationship. And that, that, that makes this look very reactive, very political from an administration that needs to think about the big picture, not just about gas prices, but about our national security posture. Yeah. When you go out and you say, I want to get rid of Saudi Arabia, they, they, are, they are taking two million barrels of oil off the market. They're causing California with the taxes and all the blends being $7 a gallon. I'm going to blame Saudi Arabia. All right. They're going to go to China. They're going to go to Russia. You don't have any leverage. The one thing that Trump should have taught everybody, every politician, get leverage. Leverage is frack, drill, export. And then become the swing player in the oil and gas market. When we backed out, we gave up all our power. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If the World Cup will be played during the holiday season. We went and put the biggest sporting event on the planet smack in the middle of the holidays. I actually think it's going to make the holidays a lot better. Kind of. What are we standing around for? We've got work to do. We're going to need a ton of stars. And lots of sweaters. Cristiano Ronaldo. It's getting kind of old, isn't it? 3,000 more Mbappe. You know what we need? A song. Um, do you have any idea how busy I am this time of year? Okay, maybe not a song. That is beautiful. Rolling it in, lays it off, cutting it back. And the U.S. winning it all would be. And that is more built for video than audio, but that is the, uh, the Fox FIFA promo. B means the World Cup is upon us. Normally we'd see this in June and July uh, because we didn't realize till we gave Qatar the uh, World Cup that they were actually, it gets really hot in the summer in the desert in the Middle East. Yeah. We didn't quite realize that. So now once we realize that, we said, let's just change all of soccer and put it all on hold and let's interrupt the MLS season and then, well, actually, it ends the MLS season. And let's uh, have the World Cup then. Regardless, everyone is really looking forward to it, especially Alexi Lawless, because he gets to go wear a suit. He doesn't have to sweat. Yep. And he gets to lead the, uh, the, uh, the coverage there for Fox. Alexi Lawless, 
Are you excited about the prospect of the U.S. being in the World Cup and you covering the World Cup? I am jacked up. I cannot wait. And uh, look, we're only a few short weeks away from this tournament happening. As you mentioned, incredibly unique tournament. Uh, And I've worked men's and women's. You know, it doesn't matter to me. Co-ed naked doesn't really matter. As long as people are kicking a ball, I'm there. But the World Cup, I mean, that's... You know, that's your Super Bowl. That's your Game 7. Uh, it's all of it wrapped into into one. And going to a specific place like Qatar for the first time and at a time of year, like you mentioned, that is completely different than other World Cups. I mean, it's it's just it's going to be exciting. And, and not the least of which of the excitement is relative to the fact that the U.S. men's national team is back in the World Cup after missing out last time. And it was disaster last time. Yeah, it was right? the biggest. In my estimation, the biggest failure in U.S. soccer history was the U.S. men not making the World Cup last uh, last time in uh, in Russia. But maybe a step back in order to get, go a couple steps forward. So they come back to the World Cup uh, here in uh, in Qatar and it's going to be fun. And we're bringing. It's going to be the youngest team of all the teams at the World Cup. And with that, you know, comes positives and negatives. Uh, obviously, this youthful exuberance that they have, coupled with some inexperience, but also this incredible swagger that they have. And they don't know what they don't know. And they'll make mistakes. But ultimately, I think that this team, when all is said and done, will make us proud and will do something that not a lot of things nowadays in, in life do, which is unite us. So I remember, you know, the whole thing was when MLS was getting established was, wow, how many American players will be able to play overseas? So after the World Cup, it was in 94, you went over to Italy. Yep. I remember at 32, Landon Donovan went over and played for Everton over in, in Britain. But these were, you guys were established already. I mean, the fact that there's teenagers, American teenagers playing in England and in Germany and elsewhere, I was stunned by this. It's not. I mean, I had to star in a World Cup in order to get an opportunity to go to Europe. And now we have players that some of them don't even haven't even played a game professionally uh, yet. And yet they have these pathways. Now, don't get me wrong. This is wonderful. This warms the cockles of my old redheaded soccer heart because there are all of these new opportunities, all of these different pathways, and Europe in particular recognizes that there is gold in them, their U.S. soccer hills, and they are coming over and they're bringing plenty of our talent over, and it's a great experience for them playing in some of the great leagues in the world. Gio Reyna, who yep. played with Claudio forever. Yep, played uh, with his father. It's amazing, yeah. And, now and we got, now and I his got mom kids was I'm a, commentating on. And, and his mom was a great player too, yep, right? absolutely. Comes from an incredible athletic family. Weston McKinney. Yep, playing Christian, over in uh, Italy. So. Uh, Christian Polsic Playing for Chelsea over there in England. And I laugh, like, you're a big guy, but they always would say, you know, I don't know if you're big enough to play college soccer. Polsic weighs about 150 yeah. pounds, right? Yeah. He's, and, and he's an elite player with tenacity. Is just quick. amazing, and, and the touch that, that, that he has. And, you know, keep in mind, when this team steps on the field in Qatar, not a single one of them will have played in a World Cup. They will have grown up watching World Cups. What's the difference? It's just, I mean, the gravity of it all. You know, it's again, it's like you know, playing in an Olympics or you know, when you finally get to that moment. Uh, it's the fulfillment of a dream for a lot of players. And to, to be able to say, and look, see, some of these players are incredibly paid and they play on big club teams and they've had success. Yeah. But the World Cup is just special. Uh, no, I, I, I hear you. But for the player, when did you lose the butterflies? When the game started? How far into it? It's, so what was interesting, what freaked me out the first time I walked on the field was I always associated these big moments with music and a soundtrack. And the fact that there was no soundtrack for a couple of minutes, it really freaked me out. What do you mean out. by that? Like we, so, you have entry music. Yeah. No, not entry music. The fact that when I'm growing up watching it, there's always this soundtrack kind of playing, oh, okay. you know, and on, on all, all sports. And then when you actually get on the field, 
there's no soundtrack. It's just everybody screaming and yelling. And so the lack of the music for a little bit, for a couple minutes, just freaked me out. And then the whistle blows, and you very, very quickly, you realize, or you better realize, it's a game you've been playing all along, albeit in front of a billion people. Right. And so would you say 15 minutes? Yeah. 10 minutes? Yeah. Right. I mean, in the back, like you played, you know you're going against the best of the, the country has. So the player's going to be smaller. He's going to be quicker. It might even be a legendary striker. And, Alexi, let's say you trip or you just get beat. You know that's going to live forever. Does that work in your mind? I love that, though. I love You love, I love, you the, love the challenge? The, being on the precipice of something. Uh, good or bad. I mean, it's the same when I'm working in television. I love when that red light turns on because the potential for something, you know, good, good or, or bad exists. You but want I, the ball. I, I want the I want the butterflies. I don't think I'm prepared either when I was a player or when I'm going on television. I don't think that I'm prepared and ready if I don't feel that in the pit of my stomach. And some 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 players learn to embrace it, and I learned to embrace it very quickly. Well, we uh, went back in our archives. Okay. The year is 1993. Mm-hmm. We know the U.S. team is going to be playing England again. You played against England. Here's how it sounded. Uh, listen for the name Lawless, cut 37. And the substitute has scored. The United States have gone absolutely crazy here, and I'm sure the whole nation will as well. Woods is beaten. Leilas, the substitute, has made it United States 2, England 0. Well, we talked in the first half about the way the Americans pile in on set ball situations. This is a brilliant corner, right in the deadly area of the box. Chris Woods goes up, but the boy out jumps him and scores a magnificent header. And the oh, boy was you. It was me. It was back. Look, that was back in the previous century, back in the 1900s. My goodness, I can't <laughs> believe you pulled that out. Yeah, that was right up the road at Old Foxborough Stadium. Uh, we were playing against England. So, look. It this, was an exhibition game 2 nothing. Yep, right? Yeah, we beat them. It was a huge changing point in my life in terms of getting more playing time and doing all of that. Um, wonderful, wonderful moment. I'll never, ever uh, forget it. I would love was nothing it a more. Ball? Yeah, it was a corner kick. Came in, went off my big noggin, and uh, I went running around crazy. And I, I would love nothing more than to have that repeat come uh, come November against uh, England when this U.S. team takes them on so, the World Cup. So here it is. For people that don't know, I know you're going to be watching and maybe even betting. That's the big change sure. now. Everybody's talking about betting. And I think the U.S. team, if I saw correctly, 15,000 to 1 odds to win it all. I mean, you can make some money, you know? but th- <laughs> things can happen. Put I mean, the your, fortune your on safe it. bet is uh, is Brazil, and I, I think that Brazil absolutely is is my pick to uh, to win the team. Uh, obviously, this World Cup has a bunch of stories, including uh, uh, Lionel Messi for Argentina, thirty five years, and old. Cristiano Ronaldo for Portugal, possibly their last World Cups, uh, and Messi certainly. Uh, and Cristiano not having checked off the box of winning a World Cup, and so how that all plays out. Uh, to your point about the actual tournament and the star that it is in Qatar, it's all going to be in Doha, Qatar. So there's no flying anywhere. Everybody, it's going to be this incredible soccer brigadoon, if you will, where everybody is in this bubble of soccer. You'll be able to get to multiple games a day. So you're Players. on foot. Yeah, I mean, you're wait. literally walking from stadium well, to stadium. Well, no, I mean, you, you you get in a car and something like that, oh, okay. but it's only 45 minutes. There's eight stadiums, and only they created all this for yes. for the tournament. Yes. They made these fields. I've been there a couple times. It is it is it blows your mind what they have done. I mean, look, they got a lot of money and they have spent it well. Are there roofs on? Is there a roof on it? So some of them uh, some of them have roofs. They also have. I did not, not know allowed, that was allowed. You're not allowed to call it air conditioning. It's it's uh, climate control over there, and so the temperature. In, in the summer, there's a reason why they're not playing in the summer. It was just ridiculously hot. Having said that, 
they have climate-controlled stadiums over there. I don't think the temperature is even going to be a problem. It's going to be incredibly comfortable for the fans and for the uh, players. On the well, field. that's going to be great. Um, I remember the best Super Bowl I ever saw was in Indianapolis. Why? There was only one field, but also everything was around there. Because right. you can't get around anywhere at big events, Olympics, because the security, uh, mainly these days. So, uh, Alexi, the, the U.S. is guaranteed three games. Yep. So they open up with Wales. Mm-hmm. Then they'll play England, England the day after Thanksgiving. Yep, Black Friday. Potential to be the highest viewed soccer game in American broadcasting history. And I don't know anybody that won't be watching. Here's the big difference, and you and I can relate on this, is that when I first started playing, I started playing in Massapequa, and Gordon Bradley was coach of the Cosmos. His sons were playing in our club. So we had this great uh, – we had this uh, the Irish and Italians and, and Germans, all national yeah. teams, players, high-level players. So there was no – parents were allowed to coach. Can you believe it? And so we were able to play. But I used to tell people I play soccer, they're like, why would you play that sport? What, is, what are the rules? Why can't you use your hands? All those days are gone. Completely and now gone. I'm watching non-players telling me about the sport. We've gotten to a different place right now. We have. But as far as we have come – there's still plenty of work to do, and that gets me back to talking about being welcoming. I don't ever want to have any barrier to entry. And a World Cup, as you know, is a wonderful platform to bring people into right. that soccer team. So in your mind, are you talking to somebody who's new to the game? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Now, I'm not dumbing, dumbing it down. It's a simple game. It's a beautiful game, but it's very, very simple. I'm not dumbing it down, but I don't want to do or say things that are going to turn anybody off. And I think if you spend a little bit of time, whether it's on our coverage or, or walking or, or watching the actual game, it will infect you, for lack of a better word, and you will want to know more. But our job, whether it's me or Rob Stone or anybody else in our incredible team that is going to be working over there, is to make it something that you want to see on a continual basis, game after game in, game out, day after day. And I don't want to do anything in the, what I say or what I do that's going to turn people off. And how much better is it now in not oh. going to Russia and going with the USA team at a time in which it's really a good time? Football's great, and it's, it's always going to be football, but you're not going against basketball. No one cares about base, basketball uh, yet or hockey early, football's weekends, and Fox is fully behind this. They are. I mean, there is a wonderful opportunity that we don't have normally when we play in the summer, and that is the cross-promotion. So, you know, I'm going over early. We're doing NFL cross-promotion. Uh, obviously, that we were talking about that Black Friday game. You know, that comes on a week where we're doing uh, Thanksgiving. Then the next day is Friday, obviously, U.S. England. Then you got Michigan, <laughs> Ohio State. So it, it has the potential for some great numbers and some wonderful synergy and connection, like I said, cross-promotion that's going on with all of the different Fox uh, things that we have. We have a few minutes on the other side but real quick just to finish it off Iran is the third game Iran's the third game you yep. got to finish it first or second, first or or do you, second. Or does it have to be a wild card first second? or second the first top two teams go through uh, into the round of 16 which is single elimination 32 teams eight different eight different groups of four we uh, only got to the final four once 1930 you were not there I was not there right uh, I'm <laughs> I was watching sure, at home yeah and Fox didn't cover it we could not get the rights <laughs> at that point right and so uh, we'll see if we get there again you got so close to getting to eight uh, Get out of the group first, and then and then we'll see what happens. You got to do that first, and I I do believe that this is a team that absolutely can get out of the group with the uh, the uh, the teams that they're facing. And it's just that during your era, and most soccer players knew Winalda, they knew you, and they knew Balboa, they knew uh, they knew Mayola was in goal, they knew uh, Brad Friedel uh, and Casey Keller. We got a chance to know you over ten years. Right. The chances are you're going to get the chance to know these guys, right? right? So you like, get to know them now and know they'll be there in their primes four years from now when the, when the U.S. 
host the World exactly. Cup. Exactly. Can't All wait. Right. 2026. Right. And you're going to cost so much money to retain you. I wonder if uh, we get your money <laughs> under the salary cap. Yes. For me. Back in a moment. Um, Alexi Lalas here to talk about the, the, the most exciting event that you're not talking about yet, but that changes now. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Only a spot at the World Cup at stake right now. Pulisic scores! Down advantage played. Anthony Robinson's cross for Ariola. Tori rolling it in. Shaq Moore cutting it back. Ariola knocked down. Ferreira's there! Great work. Gets the return from Anthony Robinson. Robinson will hook that cross in. Pulisic! That is what it looked like when the U.S. defeats Panama and officially gets into the World Cup. Alexi Laos is here for a few more minutes. Uh, Alexi, when do you go over to Qatar? So I'm going to go over the 10th. Um, we're actually going to do, we were talking about cross-promotion. Cross we're going to do some stuff with the NFL uh, from the base that we have in Doha, and it's always wonderful to be, uh, to be there. This will be my third time now at uh, going over to, uh, to Qatar. And so we'll do that cross-promotion for the week before. Um, our set, uh, which we're, we're blowing out, it's, it's, it's a whole other level. And the set is really interesting because it becomes a star in and of itself. And I've done so many World Cups now. And what happens is people will start the World Cup and the tournament, and they'll be watching from their, their couch. And then if they're lucky enough and you know, have the, uh, the ability, they go to the World Cup. And they'll do this migration and this pilgrimage to the set to kind of see, oh, my God, there is what I was watching on my, on my couch. And our set is Killer. better than a lot of, I mean, it would go for a lot of money here in New York in terms of rent. Now, the <laughs> NFL guys are coming over to Fox NFL Sunday. Yeah, so they, they've been over and they've done stuff out of, uh, out of Doha before. So, yeah, we'll, like I said, we'll cross-promote and make sure that people know that, hey, a week from now, the World Cup is, is happening uh, and, you know, the NFL will continue on through it. Like we said, college football, uh, college basketball, all sorts of different stuff. So you can – we want you to spend all day watching Fox when it comes to uh, sports. Oh, yeah, and I, I guess this is something to look forward to for a long time. Yes. I mean, if you if you do this for a living. So when you go over there, you're going to go over there for about a month. More, yeah. Now, I hear it's a dry country. Do you have a plan B? Let's say you wanted to celebrate with a beer. Let me tell you something. I have been there twice, Brian. Yeah. Never once – was having an alcoholic beverage a concern? Really, it was everywhere that you went. Now, we're guests in in this country and in this culture. That's obviously very, very different. You can't be outside drinking. You can't be drunk. You can't even appear to be drunk outside. Having said all, all of that, there will be plenty of alcohol for people to drink. There is. Uh, yes, that's not a uh, that's not a problem. So if people Thankfully. are worried about, otherwise it. we wouldn't do that. Right, up. you would refuse to go. <laughs> Absolutely, not. Right? Yeah, yeah. you wouldn't do of it. Course. I did not know that. Um, but think about this. If it was Russia this year, oh my God, what would you do? I mean, we it might not go. The right, no, it would have been canceled. Uh, the, the World Cup would have been canceled. So. And, and and what do you expect for you? I mean, I don't. I know you don't want to look ahead, but it's going to be the U.S., Canada, and Mexico are splitting the World Cup in it's, four years. It's going to be huge. It's going to. I mean, you remember ninety four? I mean, you played ninety four changed everything for soccer, and yet in twenty twenty six. The world is coming back to the United States, and eighty percent of the games are going to be played in the United States. 
they're coming back to a landscape that is fundamentally changed when it comes to soccer. You know, our infrastructure, you know, we mentioned Major League Soccer and USL and NWSL and all of the different facilities that we have and all the coaching that we have and all of the different things that have grown up. So it's, it's night and day. However, it's another injection and it's another opportunity. I, I, I think I might have told you this before, but two weeks before the World Cup started in 1994, I got on a plane, sat in my middle seat, which is how we traveled as a team back then, and I sat down next to an older woman. And we struck up a conversation, and she said, what do you do? I said, I play soccer. She said, well, what's your job? I said, I play soccer. She said, what do you do for money? I said, I play <laughs> soccer. Two weeks later, I'm in front of a billion people running around in the World Cup. And so that's just some context. We've, got, we've come a long way, baby, as the saying, as the saying goes. The money the you made play. from the World Cup was able to seed Major League Soccer. Yep. And then grow. And grow 2026 is going to make a whole lot of money. <laughs> and don't ever forget with Phil Anschutz, with yep. – uh, Yep. What everybody did, the hunts, yep. to keep soccer alive when it started to crater a little bit. Yep. All right. Look forward to it. Uh, follow Lexi Laos, World Cup, thirty-two game, uh, 64 games, 32 teams. Hope the USA wins. Thank you so much. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.